If you're always trying to be normal, you will never know how amazing you can be. You are now listening to the Lifelong Learning Defined Podcast with your host, George Valenzuela. This is education coach George Valenzuela. Welcome to the Lifelong Learning Defined Podcast, where I provide all educators, whether instructional leaders or teachers, tips on how to be their best both personally and professionally. Now let's get into it. That's a great quote. I am super excited. We have one of the brightest, youngest stars in education on the show, my very good friend, Yaritza Vialba, who, like I just said, is a rising star. She's an entrepreneur, an author, a designer of this amazing shirt for Black History Month, which I'm wearing this month. And she's also the educator innovation lead at Microsoft Flip. How are you? Oh, I'm great. And and remember, Black History Month is 365. You can wear that shirt every single day. (laughs) (laughs) Noted. I love how real you are. And I also love that you excel in three major areas of your life. Number one, you're an awesome mom. Number two, you're a kick-ass entrepreneur like myself. And three, you're very passionate about Microsoft Flip. And I'll say helping educators and supporting educators through Flip. But before we get into each of these three things and how you excel at them at a very high level, can you please introduce yourself to our audience? And I'm well aware that most people already know who you are. Well, first, thank you for saying that I'm a kick-ass mom because I feel like me being a mom was what led me to be such an awesome entrepreneur and passionate, flip educated innovationally without being a mom and, and knowing what I want to see for my daughter it would be hard for me to try to implement change. I am Jadik Sabi Jalaba. I am an educated innovation lead for FLIP. My focus with FLIP is just creating initiatives that amplify student voice, creating resources for educators that are one, free, but two, you can consume it in a way where you understand it and you can implement it for yourself. Everything that I create, I don't say, hey, this is a template or this is a rule book and you have to do it this way. It's always... How does this amplify the voice of each of your students? And that's something that I've always held myself accountable for when I was teaching. I taught for 12 years in Brooklyn, New York. I taught history, which is my passion, right? That's something that would never change. So they can't take that knowledge away from me. And then later on, I became an assistant principal before transitioning into my full-time position with FLIP. But I'm saying all that to say that above all, I'm an educator. I lead by example, but also I'm very open to just trying to learn something new. So if you're watching and there's some things that you're doing that's culturally responsive and culturally relevant, please let me know. I would love to support you any way that I can. Shout out to BK, New York, my home city. Yo, she's all business, y'all. As you can see, she's business. She's about it, about it. Let's get into how we know each other. My man, Victor, saying, hey, y'all. So I met Victor. (laughs) And in fact, since we're giving shout outs, Elizabeth Polo, Stephanie Holmes. What up, what up, what up, what up? But I want to stay on Victor for a moment. Victor is someone that I think I met two, three years ago online and Victor is very active on Twitter. Mm-hmm. He always starts off with good morning, saints and ain'ts. And we get a kick out of him here in my home. He knows my wife now. And my eldest is always laughing at the stuff he says. But the way that I met you was through him because you were friends with him first. Right. 
and you guys would post your outfits or your swag. And I'm not sure how, but I got tagged on something. And what I found about you is that you live your life uplifting and shouting out educators and amplifying them and their voice. Since then, we met at ISTE in, I forgot which ISTE it was, but I saw you and you saw me and we've met in person. But then you also had me on a Microsoft Flip broadcast on a live and you've always have amplified me and have showed me respect. And the thing that I see about you is that I really do believe this and I don't say this to anyone. I really do believe that one day you'll be one of the biggest names in education. And mm -hmm. I have a new book. It's coming out over the summer. It's on project-based learning and SEL. And hey, y'all, Yaritza is an expert in PBL through expeditionary learning known as EL education, which I'm a big, big fan, big, big fan. And she's writing the forward. And I can say this, I've had a lot of amazing people write the forwards for my other books but I always had a few options. I prayed on it, I thought about it. With you, sis, you were the only person on the list. Mm. As soon as mm. I found out that you had the PBL background, I was like, that's who I want. I just gave you some props and how we know each other. Can you tell the audience a little bit about how our relationship though, from your perspective has evolved in the past few years? Well, first of all, you're making me all like, my eyes are like tearing up. Uh. <laughs> I didn't think I would be emotional this morning. So just to piggyback off of what you said, I, I truly believe that we're all in the positions that we're in for a reason. And if my position grants me the access to amplify someone else's work or to say like, hey, I have this 11 minute show and we're going to be live on YouTube and I need you to hop on now. I don't care. Say everything about your company. Give them the name. Give them the website. Give them the book you wrote. I'm going to need you to hop on because I am a firm believer that I have to uplift people as well. I didn't get here just by walking up to Flip and saying, hey, let me in. I've always amplified my own work, but someone else's as well. So I'm tagging everyone and I'm saying, hey, what are you doing today? How are you feeling today? You and I met and I feel like from, from the beginning, we've always given each other props and advice. And that's how we became like this, because I think that some people in the ed tech space, they forget where they started from. They forget that you're always going to need somebody else to lean on regardless of how successful you are. And success is measured differently. Somebody might say success is the fact that I get, not me specifically, but I get paid $5,000 for a one hour show. Others might say success is my name coming down on someone's social asset. Another person might say success is the fact that people are emailing me about my work and they want me to share it. For me, success is being able to see my friends on other platforms and being able to say, I have time today to sit down and really watch all of your episodes. And I know that you're going to want me to watch this episode. And I need to prepare myself for if George decides to say, hey, sis, I need your input, right? To me, that's success. When your friends can honestly lean on you and know that whatever kind of advice you're going to give is going to be 100% raw and realistic. And so that's been our friendship. I, I can DM you about anything and say, all right, George, like, I may need you to pop up for this show. And you're like, I'm on it. Same as Victor. Victor's like, all right, sis, let me know. Same with Chanel. Chanel's like, all right, let me do this. And that's what we've built. We've built 
and cultivated a family that I believe a lot of people in the ed tech space are missing. So that's our friendship. Mm. Our friendship is a family. Wow. Amen to that. And we are going to do a live one day with Victor and with Chanel, and we're going to recreate that fabulous moment that we had on Flip. Speaking of families, I want to talk about Mackenzie's Time Machine and X Factor EDU, which is an amazing book publishing clearinghouse. Can you speak about that relationship and that other family you have? Ooh, well, that's a lot, but I'll, I'll cut it down <laughs> short. Matt, Matt is amazing. And, and I say this, right? Everyone has different relationships with people. I've always found that every relationship that I have with a person is based off of how I'm introduced to that person, but also how I've introduced myself to that person. So if I come to you and I'm very open and I'm saying, hey, I have this going on, I would love for you to tag team, then people are more receptive to working with you. And with Matt, Matt was doing a mentoring program and every Sunday we would hop on, it's a, a couple of us, I believe it was like 12 of us, educators from around the United States, and we would actually mentor and give advice to new teachers. I didn't have to say yes. It was my Sunday nights, but I felt like not only is my voice going to be amplified, but I'm helping out someone else who's about to step foot in front of other students. And so I needed to be there. And also I'm a black woman. Why am I not in these spaces anyway, right? But the fact that Matt reached out to me for that opportunity, that's what started everything with me and Matt. Right? So I began to do a lot of PDs with Matt. We began to discuss like, what are some opportunities coming up? When I got pregnant with Mackenzie, I knew I wanted to create a book because I knew that there were many books that were lacking what I wanted in a book, which meant I wanted to see my daughter, even though I created this character that looks nothing like my daughter today, but everything of how I envisioned her with the two ponytails and everything else. My daughter's not even two yet. And I, I gave her a whole jeans outfit. And <laughs> this idea of Matt let me be creatively free. I came to Matt with a transcript already, already ready. Like literally mm -hmm. I had wrote the book and I was like, all right, let's do this. And I already know who I want to illustrate it, but let's still interview other people. And he was like, all right, you got this. And that goes back to relationship building and knowing who to trust. I was able to go back and forth with Matt about my contract. And because he's so like open and he's so real and he's so honest, he was like, all right, let's do this this way. There's not a lot of companies or, or friendships that you're going to build with somebody's willing to compromise to see you mm. succeed, right? So now I'm going to say that again. You're not really going to find companies or friendships or relationships where someone's willing to compromise to see you succeed. In every circle I've placed myself in, not that I've been put in, because I've been put in circles where I had to take myself out. Every circle I've put myself in, I know people will compromise for me because I've compromised a lot for other people. And that's how it goes. It's I hold you up, you hold me up. Some days you may need to hold me up for sure. When you need me, I'm there to hold you up as well. So X Factor was this publishing company that was created by Matt. And I was the first children's book author for that company. And after working with him that first time, I said all of my children's books would be with Matt. All of them. Like, I don't care what I write. I don't care how many copies I sell. They will always be with Matt because... Honestly speaking, he was with me from the mud, literally speaking. You were the person who gave me a chance when others probably would have given me a chance, but not because of my work, more because of my name at that time on social media. Let's give Matthew Joseph 
X-Factor, EDU, and Codebreaker. Some props, y'all. Let's give them some snaps. They're doing amazing work. We have Lori Guy on, on tomorrow. And I'm glad that you're sharing this because relationships is something that I'm working on. And I'm working on making sure that I acknowledge my contemporaries and folks in the space where, frankly, some of them have paved the way for us. And that's what I'm hearing there. Much respect, much love, Matt, and all the folks over there. This show is called the Lifelong Learning to Find Podcast. And the purpose of the podcast is to amplify folks that are excelling in major areas of their life. And they're doing it at a high level. And they're doing things that we know folks, whether in and out of education, in the living room, in their kitchen, in their car, what they're talking about. I want to transition into motherhood. And I'm not a mom, obviously, but I'm a dad. I can never understand what it means to be a mom. But I'll say this, though. Yaritza really documents her life and her daughter. So I just want to hear from you, sis. What does being a mom in motherhood mean to you? It's everything. I but that's the thing. When I when I found out I was pregnant, I had to really reflect on at that moment what was I doing? I think I was still a teacher. It was mid-pandemic and personally I was angry. I was angry because of my teaching situation, leadership at that time. The principal was just a foul person. And so all that anger that I had towards her, I was holding it in. And when I became pregnant, Panamanians, we believe that whatever the mother feels goes to the child. And I was, I cannot have an angry baby. And so I had to reflect on not only me, but why am I giving someone else so much power over me? I was still, in my opinion, an exemplar educator. But attitude-wise, I let the smallest things get to me because I was angry at this one person that had power. And so when I became a mom, that changed everything. I don't argue. I don't argue anymore. Like I, the old Yuritsa, oh, yes, definitely. Knocking on your door and everything. The new Yuritsa, <laughs> Mackenzie's mother, I'm different because I think about Mackenzie. I think about what is it that I want her to see when she's able to talk? What, what do I want her to replicate? And yes, she's going to have a mind of her own. But if I can instill certain things in her that's going to take her for a ride and a journey where she's going to be introduced to so many different people and so many different opportunities, it starts with me first. I have to change who I am. And so being a mom has just been almost like this transitional period for me. It forced me to grow up. I already had the age, but now you have this little person is, who's depending on you for everything, whether that is the bottle, whether if it's to be emotionally tied to them, whether if it's to take naps, even though all of my friends know I hate taking naps. But Mackenzie has shown me that everybody has the power to change. You just have to be willing to do it and take that first step. I took that first step for my daughter. Mm, mm. So many <laughs> nuggets, y'all. So many nuggets and so many old emotions that you've triggered inside of me. Like, would you mind if I piggyback off a few things that really don't have anything to do with Mackenzie or with you being a mom, but I know that other educators out there really care about it. I'm from New York. I'm from Queens. Mm -hmm. And in recent times, I've had to switch up my social media a little bit because I felt like some people were thinking I'm like Mr. Rogers or something. Don't get it twisted. If you're from New York, especially if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you will go looking for people. You will pull somebody's card if you need to, without hesitation. Mm -hmm. 
And me being a little bit older, I kind of learned that lesson. And my kids are older, like 20 and 17, and I'm 48. I've had to learn where I have to fall back. But one of the things that I had to learn, and I learned it recently, was not to let someone's negativity affect me emotionally. Mm-hmm. Because it's very traumatic. Very, very traumatic. I had a boss. In fact, I had a few people that were haters and would actively do things to try to get in the way. And I wasn't reacting the way I used to back in the hood, but I was definitely emotionally really going through it. And I had Mm -hmm. to learn this. No one will ever say or do anything to you that isn't a direct reflection of how they feel about themselves in that given moment. Hurt people hurt people, right? And happy people, how people. For anyone out there listening, if you've been through anything like that, you have to find a way to separate yourself emotionally because this too shall pass. And whatever Mm -hmm. people do, it comes right back to them full circle. Sis, is there anything you want to add to that before we continue talking about Mackenzie? I agree. Parenting is hard. And, And sometimes we have to look beyond financial statuses. Parenting is hard because you have to take this little human and now put them in front of all of your needs and wants. And for some of us, that's very difficult. For me, that was difficult because I'm the baby. I'm my mom's baby. So I'm so used to everyone else sitting aside while I come into a room or say, mom, can you make me a plate? And now everything has changed. Everything is, what is Mackenzie doing? My phone rings. Holmesy is, is on right now. And she calls and she wants to talk to Mackenzie. No one wants to talk to me anymore. But what I would say is it gets better. Mackenzie's not two yet. But what I'm learning is, as I mentioned before, they mimic everything that you do. And so mimic things that are positive. I sit down, I drink tea. Now Mackenzie wakes up, she looks for that teacup. And I save her some because it's still warm. Yeah, she she holds it. And and, and just that, because in my mind, if I drink tea in the morning, I'm calm. And these are some things that I just want her to pick up. Be calm, sit on your little chair, relax. And that's what's making parenting a little bit easier for me. People usually ask me, how do you work and you're a full-time parent? I'm like, you, you begin to show, like I show Mackenzie that I'm on a computer all the time. And now what does she do? She takes the computer, she puts it on her lap. So now in my head, I'm like, okay, my old laptop, it doesn't work. Guess who has it on their lap in the living room today? Mackenzie, right? Because you have to learn ways to prevent yourself from taking away the happiness that your baby still has. And I don't want to be that person that everything is just work, 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 work. And then I forget that I have this person who deserves the utmost happiness, however she's introduced to it. And also your village, whoever you have around you. I only keep positive people around me. Not everybody has even met my daughter yet. No one can really say like a thousand people can't say they hugged Mackenzie. Mackenzie runs from people at this point, right? So it's it's whoever you allow into your space and who you trust, they'll make parenting easier for you. I have friends that are willing to take Mackenzie whenever I'm busy. That's the kind of people that you want in your village. Mm. Lots of nuggets there. Here's what I'm pulling, y'all. Make your baby happy. Behave in a way that you want them to behave. If you want them to be calm, then you have to be calm. Only surround yourself with really good people. Mm. And this is extremely easy 
to say when you're already living it. And that's why we have folks on the show that are not just talking to talk about their walk in the walk, but Yaritza to the teacher, educator, one of our family members, one of our people out there listening, watching that are struggling with how to be the best for their child. What is one piece of advice that you would give them? Be yourself. Kids are the bomb. They're the best because guess what? They love you even when they treat you bad. As an educator, I've seen so many parents walk into a school. They're cursing out their kid. They want to hit their kid. They treat them so bad. And when it's time that anything goes wrong, they're like, call my mother, call my mother. And I'm like, you mean the lady that cursed you out yesterday? Regardless of what you do to a kid, and I'm not saying go home and abuse your kid, but I'm saying is you will always be loved by that individual. So you have to be yourself. And and growing up, me and my mother weren't friends. I knew that that was my mother, but I also knew that I can confide in my mother and whatever I did. If I did something wrong, it's almost like she smelled it on me when I came into the house. She would say, Janisa, come here, come sit on the couch right now. And I already knew, oh man, I got caught. But because we had that relationship where she knows me 100%. And so in building relationships with your child, you can't have this guard up where it's like, I'm in charge. We have to follow the same concept that we have in our classroom, which is it has to be student or child centered. And what that means is everything that you have that holds you and prevents you from opening up, that whole guard has to be pushed aside for your child. Like I like I think Victor had retweeted something that basically said, like, sometimes as kids, we don't really know that our family is struggling because we had such great parents that didn't allow us to see that that as as an immigrant coming into America. My mom had three jobs. I didn't realize how much we struggled until I became a teenager and needed money in college. My mother never, never talked to us about money. I never heard no in a sense of things that I needed. Right. And that's what parenting is. It's knowing what things are for adults and what things are for kids. Also, I didn't say to go out there and tell your kid everything that you that, that you have going on in your relationships and finances because kids can't do anything about it. Right. But I would say is it's OK to be vulnerable around your child. Like I'm vulnerable about, around Mackenzie. I know sometimes she see me cry and frustrated, but I would never raise my voice at her. And there's just some things that I don't want her to be afraid to have to approach me. All right. So just be mm -hmm. yourself. Be honest. Wow. And <laughs> so many nuggets there for folks in the wellness SEL space that a lot of the PTSD mm -hmm. that adults have came from their parent or the caregiver yep. talking to them harshly. I really am recommending to play this back, play this back. If you're struggling, if you want some tips, if you want some nuggets, your wrist is the right person. Just as a reminder for folks that are tuning in on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, please follow us at George does PBL at INC underscore YV and share the message to anyone that you think will benefit from it. Now we're going to transition into entrepreneurship. I said this before, I really do believe this. I believe that you will become one of the biggest names in education. And I don't want to say that you're not, what I mean is ASCD, ISTE, Solution Tree. Everyone's going to have you at a keynote at all the conferences one day. And I just want to be in the front row. 
why did you choose entrepreneurship and how did you become an entrepreneur? I started off as the founder of a nonprofit. So, and a lot of people, I think most people who follow me know that I had a nonprofit, still have a nonprofit. I wanted to share resources that were free. I, be I believe in if you're going to support people, you have to offer things that are accessible to all. And the first measure of accessibility is taken off a price tag. And so I would create resources that I knew were working for my students in Brooklyn, New York. My students were overage and undercredited. Some of them struggled to read and some of them struggled to have relationships because they've heard so many years, oh, you're, you're not even capable of doing this. And so when you create resources that are successful resources, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to tell everybody about it. And for me, it was, I don't want to just tell you about it. I want to give you access to it. But I also wanted to do it in a way where now I'm bringing in Chanel and Maria and, and all of these other women who are doing incredible things in the ed tech space and Cosma and say, how about we just do professional development for free? and raise money to then support kids who don't have tech. And so with that nonprofit, and, and even before that PD, I started off with three PDs for Summer Academy. And I didn't know that it would be sold out. Like literally every PD, I had over 100 educators. And what I would do is I would discuss social and emotional learning was one. The next was how to increase student engagement using FLIP. Um, and then the last one was how to increase parent engagement. I touched on topics that I feel like big names in the ed tech space no longer talk about. And they don't talk about it because it doesn't bring them revenue. But here's this person who is driving things for free. I don't care about what brings revenue. I want to discuss things that I know teachers are struggling with. Teachers, regardless of where you are in the world, are struggling with building relationships with parents. And a lot of that has to come with what we think about teaching, our concept, and what parents believe teaching. But if no one is going to teach you that or show you that, then for me, it's what's the point of attending some of these professional developments? That led into me creating books and then having McKinsey that's when I opened up McKinsey's Adventures LLC. I wanted to be very smart about how I save for McKinsey. I know some people just say, okay, whatever money I have in the bank, some of that is going to go to my child. I wanted to be able to say, and also for her to have a flex when she's older and say, hey, throughout all of these years, I sold all of these books or I've shown my face in some of these ed tech spaces and they paid me and now I have this amount of money for college. And so my business, McKinsey's Adventures LLC, I'm the co-founder. My almost two-year-old is the founder. So even I know people get tripped up when they see my signature in the email because it literally says McKinsey Logan founder, Jadik Savi Jalva co-founder. But it's this idea of how do you really push your child forward even before they could know what it means to be successful? McKinsey is 20 months, 21 months old. And is this idea of, in my mind, she's already successful for a 21 month old. She has two books. She has this company. She has another book coming out. We're talking about plushies, but these are all things that are student centered. So when she's ready to talk, she's gonna be able to talk about her own things. Her name is in there, but then there are things that's purposeful, things that talk about African-American trailblazers, things that make you wanna think about what does it mean to be an Afro-Latina? So we're still pushing boundaries, but we're doing so in a way where when Mackenzie gets a bit older and she now has to worry about her own company, she also has to do the work. 
You got to figure out why I talked about some of these individuals in your book. You have to figure out what it means to be an Afro-Latina and a Panamanian. So I'm. it's almost like a, a teaching moment, but also preparing her for life after high school, which might be college or you never know. Mackenzie might say, hey, I just want to focus on this business. And I'm here to support that as well. <laughs> that is so freaking amazing and good. So many nuggets. I'm just going to have to recap real quick. So all my friends know, people that tune in know that I love the Ed Milet show. Ed Milet is an entrepreneur, one of the biggest in the world. And he constantly has on other entrepreneurs that are excelling in different areas of their life. It's not just about being a seven-figure, six-figure earner. It's about being a six, seven-figure person father, mother, partner, investor, all of these things. And he had Master P on there. And Master P said the same thing you said. It's a family business mm -hmm. where at one time it was rap, then it's, um, it's property. Now it's food. Ice it's Brody Foods with Snoop and ice cream and all these different things. And it's a way like the Rockefellers to mm -hmm. hand down generational wealth and a business. The other thing that I do want to say that I think is amazing is about doing things for free. Anyone that has been in a graduate program knows that part of earning a doctorate or an EDD is that you do scholarly work. Scholarly work is meant to improve education. That's why we write the articles. That's why we do the podcast. That's why we do all these different things that are free because at the end of the day, educators that need this stuff, they can find it online anyway. And educators aren't our clients. It's the school districts. It's the administrators. Right. That's why I keep a box of books and I give them away at all the conferences because my clients are not teachers. But what I will say is this, the client pays for the structure. Mm-hmm not for the pieces. So for folks that are doing this work and you've got some great ideas, I encourage you, put it out into the world. Don't expect to get anything out of it except we're furthering education and we're helping educators that need it. It'll all come back full circle. Mackenzie's Time Machine is going to sell 10 million copies and <laughs> let's speak it into existence, y'all. I'm going to go and buy my copy and I am going to recommend it. All right, so... What are three things that you would tell an aspiring entrepreneur to do? Three things. Jot down your ideas. I always come up with an idea. Like every day of the week, I'm always thinking about what's next. Whether if it's another book, whether if it's a game. I've been so successful with Flip's Global Cultural Exchange that one of my friends said, why don't you just create an app? And so now in my mind, app design, I would always say just write it down because even if it's not working for that moment, that idea may be relevant two years from now. And also be careful who you share your ideas with. Although we may call them friends, some people may be totally against your success. And so they may shoot down all of your ideas because at that moment, they're not on your level. So they don't know that this idea is something that's needed. They just see it as, ah, I myself don't see myself doing this, so I don't think you should do it, right? And finally, believe in yourself. 
you have to believe in whatever it is that you're doing before it could not only come into fruition, but before you present it to someone else. When you're engaging in PD, when you're presenting, when you're online giving some kind of presenter, I mean, presentation, people can see how invested you are in that topic. I remember when I first started to really blast culturally responsive sustainable education on the internet. And I would share so many resources and I would then support other people because that's how you make connections. And I would see some of the things that I wrote on my slide deck on other people's slide deck. And I never said, hey, you stole this. I seen it as, well, next time just write my name on your slide because it's it's mine. It's something that I created. I mean, give me my kudos. Hello. But just that space of you have some people who are going to be near you because they want to take something from you. Don't keep those people close. Keep the people close that are going to uplift you, even if whatever it is that you're creating is not relevant. I have one of my best friends, Sakina. She's not an educator. She's a social worker. Every book that I create, every PD that I've given, every podcast interview that I've been on, she amplifies. It has nothing to do with her, but she amplifies. And sometimes she shows up with my godson and I would see like Carter's name pop up like, hi, God, mommy. Those are the kind of people that you want in your corner. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting off fresh or you've had these ideas for a very long time and just don't know where to start, you first have to believe in yourself because believe it or not, those people who actually steal your work, they believe in what you have to say. You just might not amplify it. <laughs> so lots I'm of nuggets kidding. there. No, 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 no. So it's lots of nuggets there. I recently heard Master P say this, man, promote your stuff. If you're not promoting your stuff, then why would we believe in you if you don't believe in what you're doing? So right. promote your stuff. This ties into what not to do. And look, y'all, don't get advice from people. They haven't done what you want to accomplish. Yep. It's a waste of time. If you're going to get feedback from anybody, make sure it's someone that has already achieved what you want to achieve. Now, before we transition into the next topic, let's give a shout out to Dr. Will, Ramadan Mubarak's brother, Chanel Johnson, Victor Hicks, of course, one of my favorites, Maria. What's up, Maria? What's up, Maria? What's up, Idea? Sean, Sean MC, and Tic Tac Tech Pills, something. That's, <laughs> right? me. That's Miguel. Miguel is tuning in from Venezuela. From Venezuela. Hermano, ¿cómo yeah. estás? Mucho gusto. Muchas gracias. All right. Next topic. And I'll be honest, y'all. I don't often promote ed tech companies because I believe in being educator centered. When I do promote a product, it's only if I'm using it and if it's tied into instruction. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I want to give a little shout out to Microsoft Flip. Microsoft Flip is an organization that I've have a little bit of experience with, but I'm shouting them out and amplifying them today because of how I've seen them amplify uses and the way that your show for the last three years, I would say, maybe even more, has been used as a platform, yes, to amplify the use of FLIP in classrooms, whether virtually or in person, but you've amplified countless educators along the way. I just want to give respect where it's due. Can you explain to the audience about your passion for FLIP and what it is that FLIP does to help educators? 
Y'all, if me, if anything about me, you'll know that I promote Flip even before I officially became part of the team last April. So Flip is this video discussion tool that educators can use to empower student voice. And what that means is you can take your traditional lesson plan and literally those summative informative assessments, you can put them on Flip and then students will then show you their learning, show or display their learning by creating videos. What I love about Flip is that there's no boundaries. No one's saying your video has to look like this. No one's saying you have to use these tools. And when I introduced Flip to my students, of course, you're going to have hiccups. And I had overage undercredited students. So my students were 20, 21, and they're like, record what? And I was like, record your video. And of course, I got pushback, but the pushback stopped and halted when I became comfortable enough to record videos where I'm making mistakes because students are not shy about recording. They're shy about making a mistake while recording. All right. And so my passion for Flip flourished during the pandemic because I got to watch, to sit back and watch my students just show their learning. I used it. I know teachers struggle with test prep. I used it for test prep. Like I didn't stand in front of a classroom anymore and say, all right, y'all, chapter 15, let's go over it. Create your index cards. No, Flip changed all of that for me. What my students did was they became a part of history and they would create these videos where they're teaching each other the concepts. And so the students are becoming the teacher. And what I realized was they're passing more exams. They know deep, depth, in-depth history because in order for you to teach someone else, you have to know both fact and fiction. You have to now become the master of that chapter, the master of that craft in order to prepare yourself for if someone else is going to ask you a question. So I got to sit back and teaching became easier. I know people struggle with creating these. You, I remember you, you said that you don't really amplify organizations because you want things to be educator centered. And I feel like for me, using Flip, my classroom became student centered. I no longer had to stand in front of the classroom. If I did test prep, we would do something called Miss V's Game Day. I don't know if you, you've all ever seen me post about it before, where my entire classroom turns into almost like this gaming station. And I would have five different stations. And one would be literally flip. Another one would be where students use a Promethean table and they're playing games that's all centered around whatever the topic is. Another is students are at the Promethean board and they're playing Jeopardy, where I literally put multiple choice questions for historical topics. Another would be literally students playing card games. So if it's World War II, I would go on Amazon and I would buy a World War II card game. But just creating the space where I'm not policing, and I'm going to use that word, policing my students. And so during a pandemic, I was able to design opportunities for my students to like app smash. I used Flip and Nearpod to create museum walkthroughs, gallery walkthroughs, where students would show their work and other students would then look at it virtually and place comments on Nearpod about each video. Right. So even if I didn't use a flip comment section, they use Nearpod for it. And what was cool is now they get to display it and see it as a wall. I used Flip and Wakelet where we would do project based learning tasks and I needed to do step one, step two, step three, step four. I did that all on Wakelet, had my students come in as the collaborators and we worked together. There's so many opportunities to use Flip. But first, you have to think about the concept of allowing and encouraging your students 
to literally take ownership in their own learning and they may get it wrong but so what educators we get things wrong too i remember saying some historical facts wrong and saying oh they are cousins my bad sorry right (laughs) but that's why it's so fun so that's where my passion for flip began and then when i got pregnant by mckenzie with mckenzie by mckenzie with mckenzie i used flip to document my entire pregnancy so people women usually traditionally we write down in our pregnancy journal, how we're feeling today. Oh, I ate a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. I want to take a walk. I vomited. I didn't have the strength to do that. I literally was like, let me create a flip video. But also with the purpose of knowing when Mackenzie's old enough to watch those videos, she gets to see how I looked. She gets to see the days that I said I was sick. She gets to see the days that I said, oh, daddy went off to work. I'm here by myself. This is how I feel. She gets to hear me say, baby girl. She gets to see when she's kicking in my stomach. And then... I used Flip for everything, literally. My, my dad sends me messages from Mackenzie. I upload them to Flip in Spanish. They're in Spanish. And then literally when she gets older, she'll get to see all of her messages that was sent through WhatsApp and uploaded on Flip from her grandfather in Panama. It's just so many possibilities. I could talk about this all day. So let me stop because I know we have some more to discuss before we <laughs> It's a lot to unpack there. We definitely want to hear your top three for any educator that is new to Flip or wants to level up with Flip. But I want to stay on the topic of your role in the organization. How did you get on the team and how has your role evolved since then? At the beginning of this session, I discussed just being able to share resources for free. That's what I did. I shared a ton of resources, mostly on Twitter. And some of those resources were project-based learning tasks that I had created with Flip as a summative or formative assessment. And I began to share and tag Flip. They began to retweet. And after a while, they, I was I think I put out a post and I was like, I'm interested in doing part-time work for ed tech companies. I had a lot of ed tech companies DM me, like a lot. But when Flip DM'd me, it just felt... It felt like the right way to go because I was already using their product and I knew that their product was free. What I never want to do is go into an organization that speaks totally different to what I'm doing. If I'm saying I want my resources to remain free, then whoever I work for has to be, there has to be some kind of alignment. And even if all your resources are not free, maybe the ones that I'm sharing with everyone else has to be free. And when Flip contacted me, we talked about the possibility of having a show. So at that time, it was the Action Ritz series, Coachly Responsive Teaching. And I remember, I see my friend is still in the chat, Stephanie Holmes. I remember going to Stephanie's house and I was like, all right, we got to come up with a plan. Help me. Let's do this blueprint. And I think we came up with like four different things around culturally responsive teaching that I would be able to do that would be able to create an impact around the world. And the one thing that Flip loved was this idea of a show. And that's honestly, I remember bringing Victor onto that show and even Chanel onto that show where for 10 to 15 minutes on YouTube Live every Monday, we would answer questions that would ask by educators all over the world. A little bit after that, like a year after that, I got pregnant with Mackenzie. It was so difficult to do everything at once. Plus, I had just transitioned into my assistant principal role. So I was like, okay, not only am I a new mom, but I'm an assistant principal and a show. Something has to go. And at that time, obviously, it was the show. But I was still promoting Flip. I was still providing professional development. And I was still creating resources. And I remember Jornay just saying, like, come on, we need you over here. We need, and I was like, nope, I'm an assistant principal. I worked so hard for the certification. I'm going to make it happen. And I remember January of last year, she was like, 
all right, whenever you're ready to come over, sis. And I was like, nope, I'm going to continue to be an assistant principal. And then I remember February, all it took was one more month. She, we was texting about something. And I was like, all right, I'm ready. We made it official March and then I began in April. My role with FLIP is awesome. I create initiatives, but I also provide professional development. So there's two sides. I still provide professional development for getting started with FLIP, whether you're new to FLIP or whether you just want to know more about whatever it was that we just newly released. But the initiative side is my passion because I sit at home and I figure out ways that I can uplift teachers. I figure out ways that I can create resources that is applicable around the world, not just here in the United States. I always think about what are some communities like Nigeria and Ghana or, or places in Honduras that don't have access to resources like we do? And how would they be able to now incorporate or implement whatever I create into their schools? So I'm always thinking outside of the United States because I know of the resources that we have here. Even if you're looking at this right now and saying, well, we don't have any resources. You do. Your kids have tables to sit at and chairs. That's a resource. Your kid has a teacher in front of them. You're also a resource. There's many places in other schools in other parts of the world that don't even have a teacher to 34 students. We have a teacher to 100 with one cell phone talking about ed tech. So what I would say is the three things that I would tell an educator that wants to get started with using with Flip is try it out for yourself. If you're not comfortable with filming yourself, try it out. Like Ann Cosma says, you have to push all the buttons. And that's what I usually do. I usually just push whatever and whatever comes out. I'm like, oh, girl, change that filter. But you're having fun with it because that's what you want to be able to replicate when your students first are introduced. You want them to push the buttons and to see what works and what doesn't work. But also this idea of trying to figure out how does FLIP help or hinder your pedagogical practices? Just because it worked for somebody else does not necessarily mean it's gonna work for you and your students. Students are different. Every semester we get a, a new set of students. And if, if you're one of those teachers, like you like to reflect, like I was, I know that whatever lesson I did for one group is not gonna work for this next group because guess what? This next group don't even wanna participate. So that means I can't even do this. I have to change things up for this group. And I think educators, we have to constantly acknowledge that not everything works for everyone. And then third is thinking about how does this make your classroom inclusive? And I'm going to emphasize this, George, while I still have my mic is, is unmuted. Diversity and inclusion are two different things. And I think that people assume that because your class is diverse, all of a sudden it's inclusive. It's inclusive once you create those resources and those opportunities for students to be a part of your class. So if you have 16 Black kids and five white kids, what are you doing to acknowledge that they all are there, one, but also to get to know them on a different level? And so, yeah, I, I, could, I could keep talking, but that's the three things that I would tell an educator that wants to start out. She answered two questions. One breath. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. There's so much to piggyback off, but I'm going to piggyback just off the last thing. When I did the literature review for my SEL book, Raising Equity Through SEL, I learned that inclusion is for belonging mm -hmm. and being marginalized is not just that we belong to a group that historically has been marginalized. That's one way of being marginalized. Another way is to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Just think about what I just said, y'all. To feel that way and lots of data, lots of research says that a lot of young people 
feel marginalized and isolated in their classrooms. That's something to think about. All right, let's recap. We started this show by me saying three things that I love and respect about you. The first thing was you're an awesome mom. Two, you are an amazing, kick-ass entrepreneur. And third, you're passionate about Flip. So what is something that was not mentioned about you that you would love our audience to know? Oh, you got to put me on the spot like this. Man, you've been um, on the spot and you've been this fine. <laughs> can I say two things? I really like to collaborate with people. I, I really love to collaborate with people. I feel like when you collaborate with other people, you get to know other perspectives. And, and the work that I do, especially in being a culturally responsive, sustaining educator, you're constantly trying to grow. And the only way to do that is by partnering with someone else, right? But what I've learned also is in partnering with other people. So yes, I like to collaborate, but I also like to work independently. And I know sometimes people are like, that doesn't make any sense. You like to collaborate, work independently. Yes, because in collaborating, I realized as well that I have different work habits than other people. I get an idea and I can sit in front of this laptop for hours because I want to just crush it and get it done. And then you'll see me tweet and say, all right, y'all, prepare yourselves for whatever's coming up, right? While others may have ideas and they just sit on it and then just wait and wait and wait until someone says, hey, how can I help you? I don't wait for the how can I help you? I usually come up with the paper that says, hey, here's my proposal. Do you want in on this, right? And so what I would want folks to know about me is that I've learned to balance how to be independent, but also to depend on others. And in, in both, in a sense, they've made me an awesome educator. Sometimes as teachers, and I'm speaking to the teachers because I was there as a teacher, we don't want to talk to the person that's in the next room but they're doing some awesome work. We're afraid to go talk to the math teacher, but she's doing amazing work. And then we don't acknowledge that we all had the same kids. So you're working a lot harder when you could just go next door and say, girl, what you did with John John? Because he's working fabulous in your class. Or, hey, like, how did he even comprehend these mathematical concepts? I'm trying to get him to really understand history in a way where he can make connections to present day. So you have to balance the two. There are going to be some situations where you want to be independent. And yes, don't depend on nobody. But there's others where even if you've done everything, and I've done this before where I've just finished everything, I still bring people along because it's only right to bring people along, especially when they're the experts in their craft. So yeah, that's what you about me. I often tell people this year, I'm learning how to create a great podcast. Mm -hmm. All right. This is the part of the show where we give you your flowers. Sis, I am a person that is the poster child for hard work will eventually be talent. Mm -hmm. I can say this. And I know that anyone that knows me will agree. But what I'll say about you is that you are a rare combination of talent, of charisma, of deep expertise, and making a huge impact. Some of us don't have the talent to look into a camera and be charismatic 
and move nations and move millions of people. We had to learn how to do it. You came in the bat that way. And some of us may never get to see the impact of our work, but we've planted seeds and those seeds will grow up and we won't get to see it. But the way that the chat is blowing up and the way that social media right now is blowing up, you've been blessed to see the outcome of your labor and your impact on people immediately. And I don't know the entire length of your journey or your mom. I do know that as a person of color, like myself, and being Hispanic, we come from poverty, especially in this country. I'm not speaking about other countries. I'm speaking about right here. We come from the bottom. Sis, keep doing what you're doing. I really do believe that one day when it's said and done, you'll be one of the greatest. And all my collaborators out there, the ISTEs, the IDEAs, the TCEAs, NIDAs, Iowa, hire this sister, bring into your conference, put her as the keynote. If not the keynote, a thought partner, bring Flip. They're doing amazing things and I'm super proud. I don't tell people I'm proud of them because I'm not their dad, but I'm proud to know you. Thank you for everything you do and what you've meant to my life and to so many other people all over the world. Come on, you started off making me emotional now. We're ending with me emotional. <laughs> Don't be emotional. Just receive it. Receive it. Yeah, you earned the trophy. It's you definitely put received. That Thank trophy. So yeah, that, that trophy's on the dresser along with the tech. <laughs> the ed tech. Right, let's put it into the universe. How can you be hired all over the world, not just in New York, not just in America, to come do the keynote, to do the PD, to bring Flip? How can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm always there. I think I sleep with Twitter on. You can find me on Twitter at INC underscore YV, or you can find me on Instagram at Yaritza.V underscore underscore. Yeah. All right. This was a fantastic episode, a great interview. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast with George Valenzuela.